<laughs> yeah! Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Thank you and welcome back to These Are The Words. Picking up uh, where I left off. Let's see. The New Jerusalem. God's Kingdom Ministries. And we're going to be reading from, let's see, reading from The Struggle for the Birthright, continuing, and let's see, see if I read any of this. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> Zion and Jerusalem prophecies. Zion and Jerusalem prophecies. I'll, I'll pick it up. I think this is chapter. Let's see. This is chapter seven. Yeah, this is chapter seven. So chapter eight it has to do with the New Jerusalem. So I'll just cover where we left off in chapter seven. Zion and the and Jerusalem prophecies. Zion and Jerusalem prophecies. And I open today in the Bible to Jeremiah. Um, and uh, it was just at the part. I hadn't been doing the podcast for a while. And uh, I opened up just to the part where it was talking about uh, the Lord causing the figs, the people to become like figs um, and taking uh, the people Israel out of Babylon after 70 years and so it was like a confirmation to me it was like kind of like a, the Lord giving me a green light God saying like you know um, you know pick up pick up where for the struggle for the birth and continue it continue it and you know um, continue to do the podcast and finish the book so we're about halfway through the book uh, it's we're about in chapter 8 almost up to chapter 8 and uh, um, there are 17 chapters so it's it's okay so uh, there's a lot more episodes to go folks um, so hopefully you guys enjoy this and this uh, this reading so I'll, I'll continue with Zion and Jerusalem prophecies we have shown thus far that the favorable prophecies of Jerusalem in Isaiah 60 are essentially the same as those of the new Jerusalem found in Revelations 21. Revelation 21. It is plain from this comparison that the New Testament interprets the Jerusalem of Isaiah 60 to mean the new Jerusalem rather than the old Jerusalem. Jews, of course, who do not agree with the New Testament will dispute John's revelation, but as Christians, we believe that John's revelation is divinely inspired. So we conclude that God is building a new city unlike the old. Besides Jerusalem, quote unquote, the Bible often uses another term, quote unquote, Zion, and the prophetic end time daughter of Zion, Isaiah 62, 11, Zion in the Old Testament was the place from which David ruled Jerusalem and the rest of Israel. It became a symbol of rulership. Because the Bible speaks of Zion as well as Jerusalem in the prophets, 
Many have assumed that the Zion of Bible prophecy is the physical location within the old city of Jerusalem. Hence, we have Zionists today who are those who have placed their faith in the old Jerusalem, thinking this is the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham. But Hebrews 12.22-24 says, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. The book of Hebrews makes it clear that our hope is in a greater high priest, Jesus Christ, who ministers in a greater temple, our hearts, in a heavenly Jerusalem, and its greater Mount Zion, by means of a better covenant. In other words, there is a new Mount Zion, just as there is a new Jerusalem. The new Zion has all the characteristics of the new Jerusalem, but it symbolizes the place of Jesus' rule, for he is the son of David. And talking about characteristics, this is a side note. This is just not in the book, so this is just my own commentary. The characteristics being made in the image of God has to do with being made. We're all created in the image of God, but being uh, created in the image of God doesn't have to do with being created as a man or a woman, but yes, it includes that. Male, it says God created male and female. He created them. He created man in his image. Now the word manas in Sanskrit means mind. So he created the mind in his image. His image is his imagination, the Lord's imagination, God's imagination. So within God's imagination, he has all of these characteristics because uh, the characteristics belong to his character, to his likeness, to God's likeness, to God's character. And so we are made in his likeness according to God's character. We are made according to God's characteristics or qualities, his qualities of his person. So we are made according to the qualities of his person in his the reflection of his image, the reflection of his person. Okay, so that's, I just want to say that. So, okay, the new Zion has all the characteristics or qualities of the new Jerusalem, but it symbolizes the place of Jesus' rule, for he is the son of David. So not literally the son of David, but he is in David's line. He is within the lineage of David, and according to Jewish understanding, to the understanding that God gives Uh, If you're in the line of David, you are the son of David. If you're in the line of anyone, according to, like, uh, in in Sanskrit, it's called a parampara, or a lineage. If you're in the lineage of Jesus, you're in the lineage of his apostles, you're in the lineage, you're in the line, you're the son of of Jesus, you're the son of God. And, or, you're the son of David. Okay, so Jesus was the son, for he is the son of David. 
The book of Hebrews was written by Paul sometime before his death in 64 AD in order to explain why God would allow the old city and its temple to be destroyed. Many early Christians, especially those of Judean descent and, of course, all the Judaizers, the Judaizers, would soon be devastated at that event. Many still did not understand that God had cast out that bondwoman, the quote-unquote bondwoman, with, or slave, with her son, the Levitical priesthood, and Judaism itself. <clears throat> Prophecies of the rebuilt temple, quote-unquote the rebuilt temple. Ezekiel 40, 48 through 48 speaks of a rebuilt temple. It is common for prophecy teachers to take these chapters in a literal sense, even to the point where they believe God will revert back to animal sacrifices. This is based upon Ezekiel 43, 18-27 and other passages. Of course, we must admit that if God intended to build a physical temple in the old Jerusalem and reconsecrate the Levitical priesthood, then we would have to believe that Judaism is to become the true religion once again, and animal sacrifices must be made to God in the days ahead. But let it be known that I myself do not believe this. As a Christian, I have come to know better things as I see it. Such adherence or reversion to Judaism is precisely the bondage of which the Apostle Paul warned in the book of Galatians. How many times does Paul have to tell us that we are the temple of God before we actually believe this? Ezekiel's temple, no doubt, would have been built as a literal building with wood and stone if Israel and Judah had repented and had returned to the old land long ago. But they did not. A portion of the house of Judah returned, but Israel did not return. And so Jesus came to establish a new and better temple, the temple of our bodies. This was, of course, what God had in mind from the beginning. For this reason, the prophecy of Ezekiel's temple must be interpreted according to the New Testament model. The temple made of wood and stone is replaced by a temple, a new temple made of living stones. The Levitical priesthood is replaced by a Melchizedek priesthood. The sacrificial system is replaced by the one true sacrifice for sin, Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of all the sacrifices. Jesus is the only foundation stone or cornerstone that could be laid in this new temple, according to 1 Corinthians 3.11. And Jesus is, the, as the cornerstone, said to be the cornerstone, the cornerstone is the template for which all the other stones in a building, the, the cornerstone is a template for which all the other stones are to be shaped according to that the, the cornerstone is the keystone so Jesus is the keystone and we are to be shaped in devotion to God as Jesus is in devotion to God so you know it is not uh, it's not kind of a, it's a spiritual kingdom it's not a um, a materialistic kingdom where um, 
like a, a building has to be made for God. We are the building as as believers, as devotees, as believers. Um, okay, Jesus is the only foundation stone or cornerstone that could be laid in this new temple, according to 1 Corinthians 3.11. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man attempts to build a carnal temple at Jerusalem, it is a direct violation of the will of God, for there is no way that they can build a physical temple and still lay Jesus Christ as its foundation. In that he died and was laid in the earth, his burial laid the foundation stone of the new temple. He later indwelt the individual believers on the day of Pentecost in order to begin building this temple with living stones. Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians 2:19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fit together being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Two Jerusalems with different destinies. Jeremiah was the primary prophet of the old city of Jerusalem. He was there when the Babylonian army came and destroyed the city and the temple. He was the prophet that the priests of the old temple persecuted. Thus, Jeremiah is the most important prophet whose writings reveal the ultimate fate of that city. In Jeremiah 18, 1-6, God told the prophet to go to the potter's house where he was to observe the potter making a clay vessel. Verses 3 through 6 tell us, Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does? declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my, in my hand, O house of Israel. This prophecy was directed at the house of Israel, not at the house of Judah. It was directed at the ten lost tribes, the nation that God had destroyed from 745 through 721 BC in the days of Hosea. Their last king, 2 Kings 17 through 3, 2 uh, Kings 17:3. During his days, the Assyrian king Shalmaneser came and put Israel into bondage. Shortly after that, the Assyrian army, the Assyrian army came and conquered Israel and its capital, Samaria, deporting the survivors to Hala and Habor on the river of Gozan, and then the cities of the Medes, 2 Kings 17 through 17:6. Kings 17:6. A later a century later, this is where the prophet Ezekiel focused or the prophet Ezekiel prophesied to them. Ezekiel 1.1 1, 1 says, Now it came about in the 
in the thirtieth year. Now it came about in the thirtieth year, on the fifth day of the fourth month, while I was by the river Chabar, or Habar, Habor, among the exiles. The heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. Visions! I saw visions of God. Plural. It is important to understand then that Jeremiah's revelation at the Potter's house was not about Judah, but about Israel. Since many are unaware that Israel and Judah were two different nations. We find it necessary to clarify this. God promised that He would rebuild the house of Israel, even as the potter made a new vessel of clay. But Jeremiah only spends ten verses on the house of Israel because he was not sent to them, but to Judah. The rest of Jeremiah 18 and all of chapter 19 focus exclusively upon Judah and Jerusalem. The only reason Jeremiah even spent ten verses on on Israel was to show the contrast between the destinies of the two nations. Beginning in, Je- in Jeremiah 18:11 and 12, the prophet turns to Judah and Jerusalem. So now then, speak to the men of Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying. Thus says the Lord: Behold, I am fashioning calamity against you, and devising a plan against you. O、oh, turn back, each of you, from his evil way, and reform your ways and your deeds. But they will say it's hopeless, for we are going to follow our own plans, and each of us will act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. The rest of this chapter outlines the rebellion of Judah and Jerusalem against God, and gives the reasons for the judgment to come. Finally, in Jeremiah 19:1-3, we read, "Thus says the Lord: Go and buy a potter's earthenware jar, and take some of the elders of the people and some of the priests. Then go out to the valley of Ben Hinnom, which is by the entrance of the potter's." Herd of pots herds, pots herd gate, of the pots herd gate, and proclaim there the words that I shall tell you, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Behold, I am about to bring a calamity upon this place, at which the ears of every one that hears of it will tingle. The prophet then gives God's indictment upon Judah and Jerusalem in verses four and five for their rebellion against Him. For these reasons, God says, the nation and the city will be destroyed, and the people brought to slaughter. When the prophet finished with his in- indictment upon them, God told him to give the people an object lesson in verses ten through twelve. Then you are to break the jar in the sight of the men who accompany you, and say to them, "Thus says the Lord of hosts: Just so shall I break this people and this city, even as one breaks a potter's vessel, which cannot again be repaired, and they will bury in Topheth, because there is no other place of for burial. This is how I shall treat this place and its inhabitants." Declares the Lord, so as to make this city like Tophet. One may continue reading to the end of the chapter, 
But there is not a single word of comfort for Jerusalem. Not once does he say that in the end of days the city would be restored. In fact, Jeremiah says precisely the opposite. Unlike the wet clay jar that represented the house of Israel, which was beaten down, but then made into a new vessel, this old earthenware jar was smashed. Once broken, old jars could not be repaired. Men simply brought them out of the city through the pots, pots herd gate, 19.2, and cast them into the Gehenna, the city dump. Gehenna was a city dump that they lit on fire. It was likened to that which we call hell today. And uh, much of um, in the Bible, when hell is referred to, it's actually um, Gehenna or Sheol. Usually it's, it's Sheol or Gehenna. Sheol is the grave and Gehenna is the city dump, which is lit on fire. So if you were thrown, thrown into Gehenna, then you were thrown like garbage, like you were thrown into the trash and buried like into the trash, which is said that it is said that Judas hung himself over Gehenna and then was thrown into Gehenna when he killed himself. But that's just another story. Anyway, Jer Jeremiah. Yeah. Jeremiah makes it clear that the day would come when the old city of Jerusalem would be destroyed like this old earthenware jar in the hands of the prophet. Many cannot believe God would actually do this, and so they interpret this, saying that this destruction was fulfilled when Babylon destroyed Jerusalem. The problem is that 70 years later, the people returned and rebuilt Jerusalem. First, King Cyrus allowed the people to return and rebuild their homes in 534 BC. Then, in 458 BC, King Artaxerxes issued a second decree allowing the city itself to be rebuilt. This fulfilled the prophecy of Dan 9.24-25, saying, 70 weeks have been decreed. 70 weeks in this case is 70 years. 70 weeks have have been 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression to make an end of sin to make atonement for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place so you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. God told Jeremiah that the city would be destroyed like a jar that could never again be repaired. But then Daniel was told about a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. In fact, it really was rebuilt. This seems to be an inherent contradiction. Many years later in 70 AD, the Romans again destroyed the city, but it was rebuilt by later generations. In fact, the city has been destroyed and rebuilt about nine times. This tells us that Jeremiah's prophecy has been only partially fulfilled in the past destructions of Jerusalem. 
the day is coming when Jerusalem will be destroyed in such a way that it will never again be rebuilt. The word of God cannot be broken, but Jerusalem will be broken as the jar in the hand of Jeremiah was broken and never repaired. This is, in fact, why God has established a new Jerusalem. The old city is under the curse of God and will not be the seat of, God, of Christ's government. When we view this prophecy of Jerusalem's destruction in the light of Jer Jeremiah's statement about the glory departing from that place as Shiloh, the plan of God begins to clarify. Shiloh was destroyed after the glory had departed. Its priests had been killed as well because God intended to replace the corrupt lineage of Eli with a new line of priests descended from Zadok. This prophesies of a bigger picture, for Zadok is a type and shadow of Melchizedek, or Melchizedek order, or the Melchizedek order. It is clear then that God intended in the bigger picture to replace the Levitical order with the Melchizedek order, with Jesus Christ as its high priest. Wow, wow, man. This is blowing my mind. This is amazing. You know, uh, I'm going to continue to read this book. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. Uh, I'll pick up in the rest of chapter 7. Hagar is replaced by Sarah. Until next time, thank you. God bless. And uh, in the name of Yahshua ben Yusuf, Yahshua of Nazareth, the Lord of Lords, King of Kings. Hallelujah. Amen.